I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Janny Alioski belter of the podcast, never a truer shot taken in jest, and I'm joined by the Jack Harrison dribble goal of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. We take it all back, Jack. And finally, the Remain Sawyer's own goal of the podcast. You really do hate to see it. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm brilliant. It was fantastic to see a pure comedy goal in the first 10 minutes yesterday. Cause <laughs> I think it had been a few years since I'd, I'd seen a goal like that that was just that just made you laugh your head off. So it was great to start the game that way. Yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? So you don't see, I don't know why you don't see that, but I mean, Romain Sawyer's clearly just put the ball back to where the keeper would normally have been and the keeper wasn't there for some reason. And like you say, mm-hmm. it is redolent of goals that we used to see back in the twenty. 20- tens maybe or maybe even before that but you don't see it so much anymore tom woodhead how are you yeah i'm not too bad i was i was better before i had to spend hours trying to convince various leeds fans online that there's a difference between an account with six hundred fifty thousand followers tweeting something compared to dave from beaston four five zero nine with 10 <laughs> followers tweeting it but <sighs> this is life it's been a long old day on the Twitters for, for various people. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, yeah, let's let's not let that dampen our enthusiasm for a great <laughs> performance and win last night. Yeah, exactly. And that's I guess that's why so much of this is annoying because it was a great win and it was it would have been nice to just enjoy it on its own, but here we are. Yeah, so this is our, our bumper review of the two games. Um, obviously, by not asking questions after the Burnley game, and asking the questions after the West Brom game. We ended up with lots and lots of questions about the West Brom game. But I do want us to start off by talking a little bit about um, the Burnley fixture um, because it was, I mean, I guess they were chalk and cheese, those two games, in a way that I don't think we thought they would have been, um, at least if you went by what we said in the in the preview podcast. So let's start off talking about the, the Burnley game. Joe Hill, how did you feel uh, that game went? I think on the whole, I'm probably a bit more positive than most people um, about it. Uh, in the same way that if we stay up, uh, so if we stay in the Premiership by by one point, 
um, and we finish 17th, then obviously it, it'll be nervy, but I'll still overall be be quite happy. And so in the same way, looking back on it, the fact that we got three points and the, that we were able to grind out a result, um, overall, uh, I'm not too uh, pessimistic about it. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, yeah, that was sort of my feeling. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely terrifying at the time, the second half, wasn't it? Like, And I thought we played fairly well in the first half. And then, yeah, that second half was just like flashbacks to games like Barnsley last season where we just we just seemed to lose our composure almost completely. But it was impressive that we managed to battle through it, especially with our somewhat makeshift back line. And, um, and we'll go on to talk about Melier, but I thought Melier had an outstanding game in that game. And, you know, your goalkeeper is part of the team. As, which is a thing that people say a lot, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> um, yeah, it was it, it was just like pure relief when the final whistle went. Why do you think it is that these games crop up every once in a while where we do lose our composure? It's an interesting question. Um, I think I think it sometimes comes when the game drastically changes um, in the way it did against Burnley because they were really sitting off us in that first half and letting us come at them, and then the second half they pressed much much higher and much more effectively and were more attacking in general when they had the ball as well. So I think the game changed so much that a lot of what we were expecting given the first half probably went out the window and it's easy for that to build into a vicious cycle, I think. You know, once you start making poor passes, you get worried about the next pass and it just it just builds and builds until at the end, obviously, it's just a bats to the wall sort of thing. Yeah, I can't remember the, the XG from the Burnley game off the top of my head, but it was I think it was fairly close. Um, and obviously the... The game I'm just looking at now, but the game against um, uh, against West Brom was I mean SB uh, sorry Statsbomb had had the um, xG at 0.6 to 0.9, which is <laughs> wild. So it, it's a funny one insofar as it felt a little bit to me like we were you know those two those two games at least according to the xG were, were pretty pretty similar. So we like according to Statsbomb we out outshot um, Burnley 1.8 xg to 1.1 so just about worth worth the win um and yet the uh, the the West Brom game was much closer it was obviously a difference of 0.3 and yet we won 5-0 um and I know we we did have a question about whether or not we could try and get through this podcast without mentioning game state but um <laughs> you know these two I think these two games are, are classic examples of of the impact that that games can have have um or game state can have on on a game but what i found so interesting about the west brom game is that west brom clearly didn't sit back they didn't try and absorb pressure and then hit us on the break they did try and press us i guess relatively high um whereas uh which is what burnley did so well in the second half and yet it didn't work so it's it's i, I just find, sort of find it fascinating the the differences between the two games and i, I think it i've just put out a tweet thread on, on twitter actually just looking at how um, for me, West Brom were, were just too narrow, much too narrow. They didn't um, patrol the wide areas particularly well, whereas Burnley, I think, did. And they pressed us in, in wide areas. And as soon as we do that, we, we, we start to look very, very tenuous. And it, I think there's no surprise as well that, um, you know, we have good performances from Dallas and Alioski yesterday when they were given space and time. Um, and then when Burnley don't give them space and time, uh, questions are raised about them as well. So um, I, I kind of want I, I kind of want to come into this podcast maybe being a little bit more balanced, balanced than just being like we were awful in in the one game and and great in the other because I think it's a little bit more um, some, somewhere in between. Um, although I did did say that it was embarrassing the way that we played in the <laughs> in the second half against Burnley, and I'm sure 
um, Tom was going to mention that, so <laughs> I'm just going to come clean from from the off. But um, how did how did you feel, Joe, about the about the second half in terms of just losing complete control of the game and and then really having to drag ourselves over the line? I guess it was because Burnley. That's not really what you expect from Burnley, is it? When you when Bielsa was doing his preparations for the game and he watched previous Burnley games, that's that's not something you tend to see them doing. I mean, um, I could be completely wrong because I, I admit I haven't watched every single Burnley game this season. Um, but even so, I think it, it might have just been that slight element of surprise where you go into half time and you think, okay, we're we're dominating here. We should r- really be two nil up um, if if you ignore the um, the Burnley penalty appeal. Um, but we we created lots of chances in the first half, so the second half is going to be exactly like this. And then suddenly they come out and do something completely different. So I think that's that's what caught us by surprise, really. And um, I guess that's that's and like Tom Tom said, that sort of took us into a vicious cycle of you know misplacing passes and then being nervous about the next one, etc. And it just spirals down. But um, considering all of that, we did so well to just keep a clean sheet. And I think Burnley had twelve corners. Um, and a couple of dangerous set pieces as well. So it was actually quite um, it's quite pleasing to to see that we can defend corners after all, and uh, um, we did fairly well on them. I think one thing you, you mentioned, John, you said that uh, Burnley pressed and countered well in the second half, and and West Brom didn't press as well, but also they didn't counter like they pressed. But then when they got the ball, they just like lumbered back into their shape and started building an attack, which is it's. it's stupid against Leeds because we all know that the way the way to catch us out is to as soon as you get the ball at the back get it forward as quickly as possible and they just weren't doing that and I think this is what a lot of the criticism of of the pundits who've who've made comments about you know West Brom being a well-drilled defensive side I think this is what they miss is that you know if you spend most of your time in the last three games, sitting deep against teams like Manchester City and and Liverpool and uh, yeah you maybe you'll get um, maybe you'll get draws against those sides, but at the same time, you're not you're not doing enough to actually um, create anything in the in the way of going forward against teams like Leeds, who who you would think you would have a bit more of a chance against, and and in the event, you know, you just end up looking useless. And as soon as you concede that goal, you don't have the wherewithal to just hold out and try and nick something from a set piece, and that's it. The game's over for you. And so, um, I think it's it, it's very interesting that that people seem to. Uh, I think lionize maybe defensive performances over attacking performances when you know you, you can maybe scrape draws against big sides, but that's not going to be enough to keep you up. I'd much rather lose to big sides and then beat the sides below below the top six. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, it, um, these defensive managers they retreat into their bunkers as the years go on. I think as well, like when you look at the way that Bolton played under Sam Allardyce, it was nowhere near as defensive and and sort of grindy as as the the football he's trying to play with West Brom and I think it comes down to you know Allardyce has had you know probably six or seven jobs where he's just done the exact same thing he's come in and he's he's made them solid and had to make it his team whereas Burnley you know whatever you say about them that is Sean Dyche's team that he's developed over a period of seven or eight years or something and I think to a certain extent Big Sam just wants to come in and piss all over the place to mark his territory before he can um, you know start building the team in his image he wants to totally destroy anything that was there before and you know it's like a it's a it's a smash and grab job on the club like like he tries to approach a smash and jab, grab job on 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 individual games he just he he he's not, i don't think he's any 
he's capable any longer of seeing things in anything other than his own sort of myopic and um, chip on the shoulder view. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, but on the topic of, of defensiveness, a lot of people were lauding Leeds' defensiveness in the Burnley game. Um, and that, for me, was maybe the area that I was most disappointed with Leeds because I felt it was a, a dogged performance. And, you know, the Leeds players stood up and, and put their bodies on the line. But in terms of composure and control, which, as we know, is what Marcelo Bielsa really um, prioritises, we just weren't able to keep the ball for long enough at any point. And, you know, we were breaking down in transition with a team like Burnley, who are going to, if they're going to push forward, they are going to leave spaces open at the back. We really didn't make any headway there at all as well. Um, so, yeah, I, Joe, what was your take on the defensive performances? I mean, on the one hand, obviously, it's great to see players like uh, Pascal Strauch and, and Ilan Melier um, being able to, to have a dogged performance. But is it is it really as um, as good as a lot of the responses made out that we are losing control in this way? Well, it comes down to to what you what you see as a good defensive performance, I think, and 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 how you view that in the games. We we know that Bielsa thinks of the best form of defence being attack or being at least keeping possession in the opposition's half um, and you know being better at transitions uh, in which case in uh, with that in mind we we defended really poorly because you know we gave the ball away so much we couldn't retain possession at all um, and Burnley just kept coming at us and kept making big chances. So it depends on what what side of the coin you're you're talking about defensiveness. Obviously, we're in a frantic game. We did do okay um, defensively. I thought Melier was good. I thought Phillips was good. Ailing was good. Sort of, despite the fact that we kept on giving the ball away, we kind of made a lot of recoveries, even if it was really scrappy. So it all just depends on whether you whether you think that is good defensively or uh, being good defensively or not. And I think I'm kind of in the middle. Obviously, I'd much rather that we maintain possession and that we would we just didn't give away as many chances. But um, as I said before, it was quite nice just to to know that we can put in one of those performances if it if it really boils down to it. I thought that um, the back three and the keeper played fairly well on the whole, and I think most of the defensive mistakes were made by the rest of the team. So um, yeah, it was further up the pitch where the problems lied. So I think it's fair enough to say that the back three did a really great job at what they needed to do. Because I, I, I don't think the midfield was showing for them in the way that they need to for us to progress the ball the way we like to do, uh, especially Click, who I think really struggled in that second half. Um, and yeah, but, but I think both things can sort of be true at the same time, as Joe was saying. Yeah, I'm just trying to think now um, whether or not when we played against Barnsley, we played the 3-3-1-3. I can't remember what formation they played. I think they did play a 4-4-2. Right. I'm just going to check now, just to be just to be sure. But um, I, I was going to say that when we've played the three-three-one-three this season, I've been less than impressed at, at the at what at what's happened. Um, so uh, I wondered whether or not maybe it came down to that formation. Yeah, Leeds. Mm, Leeds played. Yeah, three. It looks like we played a three-three-one-three against Barnsley as well. And I wonder whether or not the that is a structural issue rather than um, simply uh, um, an issue with with us just sort of losing control um, all of a sudden. I think if we get pressed in the three three one three, we are maybe a little bit more vulnerable. And I don't know whether that's because um, Alioski and, and Dallas are expected to do a little bit more in terms of build up and possession. I'm just looking now. Actually, Harrison played as the the left wing back by the looks of it um, in the in in the formation that we played against 
Barnsley so maybe maybe um that too but um I wondered if if anyone had any thoughts on on the structural side of of things in that sense I suppose when you play the the 3313 you're effectively sacrificing a number 8 for a center back aren't you um so in the 4141 you can have Phillips playing as the holding midfielder dropping in to to get passes from the center backs etc but you also have click doing the same thing and they and they sort of rotate and if phillips is getting a bit stuck or he's tightly man marked then you'll often see click sort of do that job and if um if we play the 3313 then you're either looking for the number 10 to to do that role um so whoever that would be whether that's rodrigo or or click playing as a kind of advanced eight it means he'll have to drop even deeper so it might be that having that um one less body in in that area just means that we're not so good at um playing out from the back yeah obviously against Barnsley we didn't actually have Phillips playing because I think he was injured um so so we had Ben White in midfield um obviously against Barnsley uh Burnley getting my uh B teams mixed up but against Burnley we had Phillips as a centre-back and we had Click in that role as well so um, it may be maybe an issue of maybe losing a little bit of control in that in that area as well Um, so I think that's a that's a wise observation Joe. I will add that um, I think this was probably one of Phillips's best games as a centre-back and he hasn't played there for a while like for an extended period I think he did it for about you know 30 minutes at the end of one game this season I think and uh, not really at all last season so I mean he's, he's developed a lot as a player anyway but I think if we had two Calvin Phillipses in the team you know one to play that cent- cent- middle centre-back and one in front it would have been much less of a problem. Yeah right I think we've pretty much covered Burnley unless anyone has anything else they wanted to add and obviously we'll I think we'll we'll be able to apply some of these questions and answers to the Burnley um topics as well thanks again for all your questions lots of questions for us to to answer as well so again um apologies if we don't get around to answering yours but uh, a good question i think to start with is mark dennett's question about um nine points from 12 he says are we happy with nine points from 12 so in the last four games um i think we said we'd be happy with i can't even remember what we said we'd be happy with um but uh, but I, I think i think we said we'd be happy with four points from this um, yeah. And then from these last two, and then um, I don't even remember what we'd said before that. Maybe three before that. So I think we've probably overperformed to about the tune of two points, perhaps um, from our best scenario, best case scenario. So I'm going to say I'm pretty happy with nine points from twelve. I doubt either of you two are going to are going to say anything um, other than that. No. But yeah, it's been a really good Christmas Christmas period, and I guess looking back on it now, that seven two loss to Manchester United. 6-2 John it wasn't, it wasn't quite that bad 6-2 <laughs> oh, my, my trauma my trauma uh, psychology hasn't really worked properly there but um, yeah so 6-2 against Manchester United lots of criticism about that but uh, book ended by wins and then the, the obviously the additional win too um, no one has any complaints surely no one would want us to pl- change the way that we play surely uh, we're happy with Bielsa right? <laughs> I think so yeah absolutely um <laughs> Mickey T has a question about uh, the last two games and says, so do the last two games prove we have worked out how to beat teams who set up with a low block? Uh, Tom Woodhead, what do you make of that? Not really. I I don't think either team uh, was particularly successful in in their defending Burnley more so than West Brom. And I don't know, did West Brom even really play a low block? I don't know. You're probably probably better placed to answer that than I am, but it, it seemed they were pushing up a bit more than you would expect. 
I think Burnley met low blocked for the first half ish, um, and mid blocked a bit as well. But no, I don't think either team really low blocked. I mean, we saw we saw West Brom against Liverpool playing six at the back on the edge of their penalty area with four in front of them, and they didn't do that at all against us really. Um, and I mean, obviously it worked for them <laughs> against Liverpool, but um, I don't I don't think either of these really were were classic low block games. Um, so yeah, I don't know if any team will really low block against us. Has anyone done it yet? I don't. I don't think you can afford to anymore. Like no. I, I think with the extra players we've added to the squad, like people like Rodrigo and Rafinha, eventually I think the pressure would tell. And I, th- I think I think what we've really learned is that Leeds can Leeds can go. We'll will beat most teams that uh, are in uh, are at the lower half of the Premier League or, or the lower you know sort of third of the Premier League. We don't have to worry. Can we always talk about how man marking is putting our quality up against their quality? Um, and I, th- I and I think for those teams where we've got roughly equal quality players or maybe a little bit worse, I, th- I think we can be very confident about all those games. To be honest, I think just thinking back through the schedule, maybe Wolves is the only team who really. Yeah, like low blocked us. They're certainly the team that sat deepest against us, and they beat us. So, um, I'm sure, I'm sure if we do come up against other, I mean, Wolves now missing Raúl Jiménez changes things. But maybe Leicester sat a little bit deeper against us, and and gazumped us on the counter attack. But even still, I didn't, I didn't feel like they were just absorbing pressure it just felt more like they were pressing us in wide areas winning the ball back and then expanding from there and Wolves are really good at that as well aren't they yeah. like that's that, yeah. they're, they're really really good at it so you know if if we could have still got something out of that game even though it wasn't our best game so you know I think it's fair enough and who knows if we'll ever play against Spurs <laughs> I noticed that they've just um, cancelled the next game but if we do maybe Spurs will be an example of a team who might do that sort of classic ish low block um, and and then try and and hit us on the break. So I, I think that will be the the performance that will will really prove whether or not we uh, have overcome our low block block problems. But I, I think it's important to say, you know, no one no one overcomes the the low block. There's no answer to the low block other than having really great players. Like we've seen Man City struggle against low blocks. We've seen Liverpool struggle against uh, West Brom's low block. It's really really tough to play against teams who who sit deep and you sort of have to ride your luck a little bit. So um, I don't think necessarily there's going to be a a catch-all solution to this other than bringing in players who are better at being creative and players who are able to be better at f- finishing um, in, in sort of tight scenarios. So, yeah, I think um, it remains to be seen, but I don't think it's something we'll have to worry about so much this season. Let's talk about the game itself. We had um, we had a question from Kevin Fosside bates who said, was this result more a fringe because West Bromwich Albion were utter shite? Um, quote unquote, or did it come as a result of our play and tactics? I feel that the one nil goal broke West Bromwich Albion totally, and I think this is I think this is an interesting question. Like, how much should we read into the West Bromwich Albion result, given that um, they really weren't at the races and and they gave us a, an easy goal at the beginning, which I think really it did have an impact, obviously on on their game plan because their game plan was to was to try and keep level and snatch a goal. So, um, Joe, we'll go with you first. How much are you reading into the West Brom, Brom result? Even at 1-0, um, West Brom potentially would have been okay. They would have been happy. We saw them uh, do that to Liverpool. And they, they potentially, if they were mentally uh, if they were mentally in the right place, they could have just written off that own goal and said, look, we're still in the game. We did it against Liverpool. Let's keep playing um, the way that we play. And 
I think then the the Alioski goal obviously it fell to him from a rebound, so a little bit of fortune there. Um, and obviously he smacked it in the top corner, which isn't really in keeping with that Alioski's character. Um, normally those would go miles over the bar. So don't get me wrong, it was an amazing finish, but um, maybe a little bit of fortune in how the second goal came about as well. And I think after that, then the you know then they really did have to come out and, and play against us because they can't just snatch a goal late and get a result. So I think for me, I think the 2-0 the was the one that um, that really changed the game more than the 1-0. Um, and after that, obviously, yeah, West Brom were really, really bad um, and they created almost no opportunities through the, the rest of the 90 minutes. Um, so I'm not really reading into the 5-0 the result necessarily because I think, as you mentioned, the, the XG was much lower and... Um, we we can ring the game state bell again because um, <laughs> I think that did that did come down to it. Yeah, I think this is part of the problem with with big Sam Allardyce pragmatism. Um, that because I feel as though you, when you set up to play deep like that, you're you're hoping that your opponent underperforms their xg and you're hoping that you overperform it and the problem is is it's so unlikely to be able to do that that yes okay occasionally you'll get draws but a a lot of the time you're not really doing enough to to justify getting results anyway Um, which is why i think we would all want to see what bielsa's doing which is trying to create as much xg as possible at the same time as limiting the xg that the opponent's going to be creating um Tom, what's your take on how we how we look back on the West Bromwich Albion game? Um, I do think regarding that opening goal, there must be something quite uniquely demoralising about setting up your entire game plan on on making actions that won't that aren't likely to result in mistakes, um, and you know, doing nothing risky and then conceding such a a really terrible mistake. Like it must it must really send your head for a bit of a spin because if if you know, if something that basic can go wrong, how you'd be thinking, how how are we possibly going to get back in this game? And even when they were like three or four down, they didn't really attack that much. It, it very much seemed like Allardyce had said to them, to me, listen, don't get humiliated, even though they were already humiliated, and, and, and told them to, you know, suck it up. I'm Big Sam, you know, do what I say or I'll drop you. Let's move on to the next question. We had a question from Paul McGreevy who said the pitch tonight has meant the passing was much slicker, especially from Rodrigo and Rafinha. Is the Elland Road pitch slowing our game now? I think this is a good question, actually, because um, I think Pat Bamford made a comment in the la- after the last game about how um, the pitch didn't help against Burnley. Uh, and I think, you know, Burnley versus um, West Brom, that comparison, a game that we thought was going to be very similar, could that have been explained by the pitch, Tom? I think, yeah, it is a good question. And you always know when it's a good question because I have absolutely no idea as to the answer. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, it might be, maybe it might be interesting to talk to someone who knows about this kind of thing for the Patreon. Like, uh, but uh, I... I can't say it's something I ever noticed during the game, but I think that's just because I'm so absorbed in it and paying attention to other things. And, and a lot of people seem to have noticed it. And if Bamford's saying that it's an issue, then I can only assume it's going to be an issue. But there's nothing we can do about it, is there? Like, we're not going to change our style of play. It's not so much of a bog that it means that we can't pass the ball at all. So I think it's just going to, something we're going to have to get used to. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out across the course of the season. Um, but yeah, we've it's funny, isn't it? We've, I mean, we've had, we had the five... Two win against Newcastle at home, um, so there's that. The six-two loss to Manchester United was away. Um, uh, we've we've had some. We've probably had 
have we had better results away from home? I know they make they make a lot of Bamford scoring record away from home. Um, I wonder if the pitch comes into that at all as well. But uh, certainly, I think one to keep an eye on as the as, especially as the season goes on because I can't see them relaying the unless maybe. I don't know how long it takes to relay a pitch, It takes but... 10 to 12 weeks, apparently. That's oh, what okay. Kinnear said in the summer, I think. So they d- yeah. they literally didn't have long enough to do it with the short um, break between seasons. Right. They were planning to do it. So it's not going to change before summer. No. So, yeah, let's hope that it holds up well enough. Well, it depends how long the lockdown is, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, yeah, whether or not they go for 10 weeks, I don't know. I, I, I suspect the club will, will not... No. sanction that because they won't know how long it is when the, when the when it starts but it's certainly one to keep an eye on um matt keegan's wood said both teams named unchanged lineups two days after their previous game with the exception of the late gibbs injury how much do you think the performances was were down to the relative fitnesses of the team leeds looks fresh baggies look knackered joe hill do you think there's any um truth in that yeah i absolutely do actually i think it's just it almost seems obvious to me that if your if your team's been as well drilled as uh, Leeds have under Bielsa for two and a half years, murder ball every week, and you know th- then we're naturally going to be as fresher than um, West Brom, who are you know not quite as well drilled even under Billich. They no one was at the level of fitness that that we are. Um, I remember reading that Bielsa had had named a few wacky. Um, theories on how the players can uh, recover in two days sort of um hydrotherapy or some things I'd never really heard of so I don't know if they did something completely unusual but um yeah it looked like they they'd had a week off or two weeks off they looked completely fresh yeah absolutely I think I think we're just what you know we're used to playing 46 games in a season uh, and mm. barely changing the team ever um I think quite a lot of the time actually this is when we're at our best because in games like this where we have to play quick games in succession and the opponent has also had to do the same thing because you can't change your entire team. That rarely works. Um, changing one or two players doesn't make that much difference in the grand scheme of things anyway. And so I think our fitness and the fact that we we just don't consider it to be a thing a lot of the time, like the idea that players need extra rest if around you know a, pen, a piled up fixture schedule. And, and certainly with the amount of games that, we have to play in this season even if we were to go all the way at the final of the FA Cup I don't really see any reason that needs to change um, we had a question from Chalky2576 he said what can we learn from the fact that we rely so heavily on Bamford for goals but when we have a goal fest he barely seems to figure or isn't playing like the 5-0 against Stoke I think um, that's an interesting question I don't, I don't know if I would read anything into it but uh, either of you got any any observations about this I wondered if it was to do with um, partly a confidence thing that, um, you know, we we seemed to play really confidently yesterday Um, and also partly that we just seemed to break West Brom's press quite easily. So, um, you know, if between the the fullbacks and Phillips and between them they can break the press, then suddenly there's loads of space for them to run into. Mm. So we saw it with Harrison's goal where he had loads of space just to drive into and then plays a quick one too. And, you know, maybe if we were, if we aren't two or three nil up by that point, then he doesn't have that space. And, you know, then we do have to rely on just feeding one into Bamford into the, into the danger area. So I think it's... It's interesting because um, Chalky with the question mentioned the same thing happened against Stoke, but um, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm reading into that too much. I think yesterday was maybe a bit of an outlier, and Bamford probably sh- should have got one um, in the second half when he sort of skied it over the bar. I know that was a deflection, but I'm not sure it was going in anyway. So yeah, I'm not really reading into it too much. It's interesting observation about how much space we were given in front of their defence because I think all of the goals came through that central area. 
um, in space. So, so you've mentioned, I mean, Alioski, the ball popped out and he sort of hit it right on the edge of the area. Um, that was in the space between the midfield and the defence. Um, as you say, Harrison plays the ball goes down the line from Alioski, who and Harrison drives into that space and plays a one-two with Bamford. Then we have the attack down the is it the third goal? No, the third goal was that was Harrison. Um, the fourth goal is the the next one, which is we go down the right hand side and the ball comes into the middle in between the line of their defence and, and attack and Rodrigo has a shot which deflects in um, and then the final goal was was Rafinha running into that space from from cutting inside on the wing um, so I, I do think that's an interesting observation um, there too Tom how about you a- anything to add on that all I'd say is that anecdotally it feels to me like uh, Bamford scores a little bit more regularly in the games where we don't dominate the ball quite so much um, I think a lot of his goals come from either quick breaks from the back or quick breaks from the middle quadrant of the pitch where we, you know, we press and win the ball. Um, I think it's harder for him once the opportunity, the op- opposition defense is set, which is why he starts coming deeper. And he's been very effective at that, especially in the last few games, I think. But I think that's why he does it because it, it makes it harder for the opposition, opposition defense. Then you've got people like Harrison running in behind and it's been working well. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's an astute observation as well. I think there's a lot of goals where where Bamford sort of takes the initiative uh, in a tight game where the ball's played through and he just gets the shot away. Um, I guess the only exception I can think to that is the Villa game, which was maybe a bit more open, but he was just on one that that day, and uh, yeah, it was nice to see. And and two of the goals were almost like um, they weren't they weren't really goals that you can account for. I don't think the second and third goals in that game they don't really they defy logic. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, let's talk about the attacking and defensive side of, of the game. So I thought we'd start with, with attacking, given that it was a, an attacking masterclass yesterday. Um, Wiggy says, I still feel Rodrigo sometimes comes too deep so that when he loses possession, which he invariably does, it puts us under uh, under unnecessary pressure, disgust. Um, I think this is a good chance just to talk a little bit about Rodrigo um, 
a, a little bit more. So we'll go with that. But before, I'll just say we we also had a question from Glenn Hodgson who said, "Are we losing the ball in midfield because players like Rafinha, Rodrigo, Harrison, and Click are adjusting to the league, and making poor decisions?" Which I think is is tying into this. And the question is about us losing control maybe a little bit in in the midfield areas in some of the more recent games. So, but let's begin by talking about Rodrigo. Tom Woodhead, what's your take been on Rodrigo with 15 games under the under well 16 games I suppose under the under our belts now my opinion is almost completely opposite to Wiggy's um who because I think he needs he's better when he comes deep more often or certainly the team is better when he comes deep more often um he he does make mistakes sometimes and loses possession and that is obviously bad but I think he'll get better at that and I, I was I certainly noticed it um, in the West Brom game that he was coming deep. He, it seemed like he was coming deep more often. I mean, I looked up some heat maps and stuff and you can't really see it in those. But to me, it felt like him and Click were a lot more in sync in, in the West Brom game than they have been in recent games in terms of choosing when to come deep and the other one would push high. It seemed a bit more equal, like uh, a bit more like we were playing with two eights again, but with two much more fundamentally attacking players than when it was Forshaw and Click together. So I, I thought, yeah, I, I think Rodrigo is slowly getting better and better with every game, personally. How would you answer this, the second question, Joe, oh, in terms of losing the ball in, in midfield because um, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Harrison and Clicker are making poor decisions? Yeah, I mean, um, they the chances are if they lose the ball, then they have made a poor decision, um, you know, because they don't just lose the ball for no reason. Um, I think it's it's a trait of... Bielsa's Leeds team is that he does want those kind of players to be dropping deep and pl- playing the ball around in the midfield because it, it creates high quality chances in the in the long run you know we saw it yesterday at least two of the goals so uh, Rodrigo's and Rafinha's were both started um, by themselves in Leeds's own half Rodrigo drops past the centre circle and plays a, a nice one-two with Phillips and then he gets on the end of the, the ball later on and scores. So it obviously creates more space when they do that and it's a kind of risk and reward thing. So I think it is it is fair to say that they're adjusting to the league because it's it's a brand new league for, for all of those players um, and their decision-making will probably get better as the season goes on, you like to think. And, you know, we're going to have these kind of problems as the season starts and we come up against teams that do completely different things but um I wouldn't change anything about the about the style and about um the the way that we play because I think it does create really high quality chances for us yeah it usually is a bad decision when we lose the ball or or someone slipped over or something like that but um I, th- I think yeah that especially the play, uh, Rafinha and Rodrigo I think because they're integrating into the team as well as integrating into the league um I think yeah, they'll all get better with time. Yeah, it is something I think about a lot. I know I bang on a lot about us losing control in wide areas and, and how easy we are to manipulate if, if teams do come out and set up to, to sort of cause us problems in those wide areas. Um, but there, there has, I mean, there's a combination of things. I think one of them is obviously that I, th- I think our left, our fullbacks aren't good enough in build-up play when they're under pressure. Um I think they're fine in games where they're not under pressure and so it creates a bit of a difficult problem where as we've already mentioned you know you can have you can go from a game against Burnley where they look as though they're off the pace of the league and then you can go to the next game where they look absolutely blinding but I also think that, that there has been an issue with some silly passes I know that there's the Rodrigo pass was it against Manchester United which just seemed like a pass that wasn't under a huge amount of pressure but it just went straight to the opposition player and I suppose 
I I wonder what the cause of those um, those passes is. There, there was a couple of I can't remember. It was a game earlier on in the season. I think that we lost. Maybe it was the Leicester game where both Pablo Hernandez and Mateus Click played the ball across the field straight to one of their midfielders, who then was able to break. Um, and I don't I don't know what the cause of those sorts of mistakes is. Um, whether or not it's whether or not it's because Leeds are so well dream, drilled, it becomes sort of metronomic, and they just don't expect to see people um, popping up there. I don't know um but it does seem as though we've done that a lot compared to last season where it felt like um we were just dominant in terms of control and i know that's because of the the levels of the relative leagues um or the relative levels of leaves leaves leagues i should say but um it does seem as though we have made some like really sloppy um decisions maybe that's because both rodrigo and rafinha are creative players and therefore a little bit more raw and maybe a little bit more likely i think rafinha's raw maybe maybe not rodrigo but way more likely to try and play creative passes um that that don't come off but even that doesn't explain some of the sort of basic sideways passing that goes straight to oppositions um i don't know if either of you has any thoughts on on that it's funny that because I feel like we play quite a lot of passes like that in most games that do come off. Um, and it's just that it's that classic thing of when you're a kid, people say, you know, never pass it across your own box. And we do that all the time. Like, um, so it's this sort of thing that just looks awful when it goes wrong and is hugely risky when it goes wrong. But equally, I think if we cut, we stop doing those kind of passes, then we won't be able to build up in the way that we want to. So it's um, like most things with BLC, you've got to take the rough with the smooth, I think. So Mark says, if Click is likely to be out for a couple of games, how do we see Bielsa adjusting his lineup? I think this is a good question. It's the situation we've all feared. Is it Shackleton for the eight-roll, Dallas, Pablo, or purely depends on who the opposition is? Joe Hill, let's hear your th- thoughts on this. Well, my, f- my first immediate thought is that um, after the, the Spurs game, if that does go ahead, um, we have got two weeks before the next game in the Premier League anyway. We're playing in the FA Cup, but... Um, that I just wanted to start by saying that in in the hope that Click wouldn't be out for for so long. But um, if he does happen to be, then for me, I wouldn't have much of a problem putting Shackleton there because I really like Shackleton. I think he's a great player. I think he's got lots of energy, lots of pace, um, and I'd I'd quite like to see him play there just to see how he how he gets on. Um, equally, Dallas could could play there, like Mark says in the question. Um, I'm not sure whether. Pablo would play there because that might mean that you ha- you play Pablo and Rodrigo um, in the centre, and I think that's maybe just a bit too attacking, um, even for Bielsa. So I think it will be Shackleton or Dallas personally, and for me, my preference would be Shackleton. Yeah, I mean, first, I I if I were asked to put a bet on it, I would say that Click will probably play against Spurs, and, and they'll they'll get him through whatever's wrong with him in that game, and then probably rest him in the FA Cup, uh, but. Yeah, I think I think it would be likely Shackleton who would come into the team and it would depend on the opponent who played right back and who played in midfield out of Dallas and Shackleton because we've we've seen in the last two games that Shackleton's come on in both once at right back and once in midfield so I think Bielsa clearly sees different qualities in each of them in those roles that can be used in different ways against different opponents. What did you make of Shackleton in the central midfield role? I thought he was good. Um, he was unspectacular um, but tidy as he tends to be. I thought his part in... He played um, a quite underrated part in, I think it was the Rafinha goal, where he just played a little one-two with, um, or he he was he was the player who Dallas played a one-two off, I think it was. And he he's really good at that sort of thing, I think. And that's the sort of thing that gets better the more players you have who can do that. And I, and I think, and I think 
he I could see him linking up well with Rodrigo and people like that in, in that respect. So um yeah, I'd be happy to see him play. Um his physicality is always a, a minor worry depending on who his direct opponent is, I think, because despite how you know his low centre of gravity and stuff, he can get shoved off the ball a little bit. But I wouldn't mind him coming into the team for a few games and seeing how he does it, it'd be quite interesting. Right, let's move on to the defence then. Um we had a lot of questions about our centre back partnership um james holt martin says the way strauch and ailing have played together in the last two games should cooper and urente come straight into the team after that um tom tom what's your take on the centre-back pairing i know that i mean i'm a massive fan of strauch and you're a massive fan of ailing so i can't see us really going giving an unbiased opinion on this one but what's your take on this question it's funny that I know James doesn't mean it this way, but the way that the question's phrased, it makes it sound like they've played badly the last two games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, um, I'm not sure. Um, I think it mostly depends on how Dallas is playing. What you do with Ailing, um, because if Dallas is playing really well, you don't need to move Ailing out of there. Don't change what's not broken. But I think there will definitely be situations where it would be preferable to play Ailing at right back over Dallas. So that's what I'd mostly base that decision on. Um, Regarding Strike, I would be tempted to just keep him in if if, if he's playing well. Um, Cooper has problems with recurring injuries anyway, um, so he's not going to be able to play every game. I think it's unlikely, even if he comes back fit. And equally, Phillips tends to get the odd suspension and gets the odd, you know, the odd minor injury. So wouldn't surprise me if he gets injured or suspended at some point and Strike has to go back into that defensive midfield role and Cooper comes back in then and then it's his position to lose again. So I suspect this is roughly how Bielsa would see it as well, that he make he tends to make his decisions on how players are performing on the pitch rather than um what he thinks in his head should be the potential best lineup. So I'd be surprised to see any major change. And, and I know I bang on about it all the time, but Ailing, when he plays in that centre-back role, he just gives us something that none of our other centre-backs give us, which is the ability to run out with the ball like Ben White did last season. And I think that's been a huge boon for us since he's moved there. Uh, I think something great to just mention yesterday was that both of the centre-backs were doing that. It was quite nice seeing us looking yeah. quite threatening from both sides. I think if you... I guess if you play in a system where only one of the centre-backs comes out, then you only need, really need to keep an eye on one of the centre-backs, but it's nice being able to see Strout push forward. I know it was an open game um, in that sense, so he was under a little less pressure. And I think Strout is probably a little bit more tentative out of all of our centre-backs. Um, I think that's probably reflected in his passing completion rate because I think he probably does prefer slightly safer passes. But it would be nice to see him developing that side of his game as well and just having the confidence to, to be able to do that. Johnny Bradburn says, Bradbourne, sorry, says, do Cock and Cooper get back in against Spurs if fit? Do Bill and Strauch deserve to start against Spurs? Will Bielsa change a winning team with two clean sheets? So, Joe, what's your take on this whole topic? It's really interesting um, because you're assuming that if Cock and Cooper are back for Spurs, then it sort of means they're on the brink of fitness, doesn't it? Because they weren't, neither of them were on the bench um, yesterday. So if they're suddenly back for Spurs, then they're probably not 100% fit. So in that situation, I think I would keep the same centre-back. I would keep Bill and Strout because they they played fantastically and they, they probably do deserve to start. But I think hypothetically, if, if Cooper was magically 100% fitness and back from injury, then, um, well, and Cock, I, th- I think I'd probably be tempted to put them both back in. Um, and obviously Bill will, will play it right back. Um, so we won't be dropping him and um, Strauch will sadly get dropped in, in that hypothetical situation for me. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it'll be the same for the next game. Even going by best case, Cox not 
likely to be back before like March or something like that. Uh, as far as I can tell, Berardi's likely to be back before Cockers. So maybe that's the question we should be asking. <laughs> Do we know what the situation with, with Cooper is? I mean, it could be the case that it's just makes sense to rest him against Spurs and then play Strauch there again in the in the FA Cup fixture and just give Cooper a nice long break for the, the next few weeks. I don't know if anyone um, has any thoughts on that. I, th- I think it's it's sound logic. I, I've not heard much by from the club about exactly what Cooper's problem is, but oh, it's an abdominal injury, isn't it? So yeah, um, it would probably make sense, wouldn't it? Just let him properly get over it, and and I then he can so. come back after the Crawley game. Yeah, because the two suspensions that we were worried about were Calvin Phillips and um, Mateus Click, and I think they're still both they're still both available for the Spurs game. So I'd probably just be tempted to keep the the team the same, and then. You've got you've got a week where where um, Cooper again could probably rest. You could even bring in one of the other centre backs if you really wanted in the FA Cup, uh, maybe one of the youngsters. And um, I don't know. I, I don't really have much faith in us going deep in domestic competitions um, this season. So yeah, I think it'd be a good. I think it would be good to just rest up Cooper and make the most of. There's only obviously a finite amount of minutes he's going to play this season. So I'd much rather use them probably in the in the Premier League than than in the FA Cup. One final question, which I will direct at, at Tom. Do we? Jackie Bucket says, do we just admit that Luke Ayling isn't a right back and he's a better centre back? No, we 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 say he's he's incredible in whichever position he plays. <laughs> if we could have eleven Luke Aylings on the pitch, including in net, I'd take that. <laughs> Bielsa would probably take that as well. I know he's made comments about that before as well. Let's talk about Ilan Melier. Um, Richard Lang said, is Ilan's proactive approach to coming for corners, slat, set piece crosses, our success criteria for the rest of the season? We've had, uh, we had a few questions about the set pieces and we did put out a tweet saying that, you know, he's, he does seem to be a lot more proactive and it does seem to be uh, giving us a bit more of an edge from, from set pieces. So, uh, Joe Hill, what, what have you made of the set piece um, situation since Ilan got, got flappy? <laughs> I'm, I'm still absolutely bricking it every time the opposition gets a corner, <laughs> put it that way. So um, I think it would be r- rather bold for me to say that it was our success criteria for the rest of the season <laughs> um, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And even uh, D- Darren uh, won't be pleased to hear me say this because he's Melier's biggest fan. Um, but still a couple of his... Um, sort of flaps in quotation marks and and punches for me weren't quite as confident as I would like them to be um some goalkeepers you watch and when they're coming for a corner and they put that shout in you just know 100% every time it's safe and um for for me there's a couple from Melier don't get me wrong he's he's doing incredibly well but there's a couple that just aren't quite 100% and I still it still makes me a bit nervous so I think we should still tell him to come out because it's certainly working and it's nice to see him sort of getting out into his box a bit more and coming for more balls. But um, I'm yeah, I'm not 100% sold on whether that's um, going to be successful for the whole season or not. We had another question about Melier from Simon Appleton who said, is Melier's distribution okay? He seems to have dropped a few clangers recently distribution-wise. Um, Tom, what did you make of, of the, that question? Because I think it is interesting. I think... He's doing everything that he's being asked to do, right? Like he's not he's not taking it upon himself to make these mistakes. I think he's I mean that one that one against West Brom the other day was really really bad. Like uh and that's probably the worst one that we've seen from him, I think. Um it, and the chance that they got from that probably resulted that was probably like 90% of their xG that they had the other day was was that one chance, wasn't it? But uh just to go back to the um 
the coming for corners and set pieces thing. Um, I I I think this is a bit like um, I don't I don't know if you've seen the Moneyball film or read the book or anything like that, but this to me is a classic case of uh, things looking worse than they actually are. And in in that, he talks about some pitcher who throws in a really weird style, and people don't pick him because of that, rather than because of the the numbers that he puts up in terms of his pitching. And I think Melier's flapping, as people call it, is a little bit like that. The ball mostly goes into areas that you would want it to go into it goes away from our goal occasionally it's not perfect but I I think this is a you know people accuse Bielsa of not being pragmatic enough but I think this is pragmatism because we can say that um, blocking off in the box by attacking players at set pieces is not strictly allowed according to the laws of the game but it is mostly tolerated and Bielsa's talked about this and I think the same and and that, that Burnley goal that was disallowed the same could be said of aerial challenges involving the goalkeeper in the box they are very very rarely punished no matter you know pundits get very annoyed about them but they, they just don't get punished and as far as I can tell we're just using that common interpretation of the law to our advantage now in having Melier just come for every ball basically because even if he drops if he tries to catch it and drops it the ref will probably blow for a foul whether it's a foul or not and if he punches it uh, he's mostly getting them away even if it looks a bit dicey at times so I'm very much for it but I've always been I, you know I, I quite like Felix Viedval when he first came into the team before he got really <laughs> really bad so I'm definitely no authority on this stuff no, I definitely agree with you. I think it does it, it does add something, and you know, it's not just simply about catching the ball. It's it is about being effective and getting the ball out of dangerous areas. And in a, after a few weeks of where we were sort of conceding the first touch off corners to the opposition players, I think anything that stops that from being the reality is going to be good. And um, I we well we've not conceded from from set pieces for a few games, right? So. Oh, well, actually, I guess we did. Did we? No, we didn't. We 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 haven't for at least a couple. Against Man U, there was one flick on to um, Lindelof at the back post. Yeah, but that's right. So I think anything that disrupts the opposition's abilities to do that is, is well worth doing. And yeah, um, I agree. I think it will work. I think it will work out all right. Uh, a question about Alioski. Charlie Hunter says, has Alioski individually improved significantly over the last six weeks or has something else changed that has enabled him to be more prominent? And does he solve the left-back problem for the season? Uh, Joe, we'll go to you on this. This is kind of what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, um, where for me, it does solve the problem for this season um, because he's clearly shown that he's good enough um, to play at the level that we're currently at, which is survival, basically, in the Premier League. Um that's that's our goals that's our goal for this season isn't it survival and i think he is good enough um so for me he does solve the problem for this season i'm still not sold on him going forward for you know the next few years let's say if it all keeps going well and we're pushing in the top 10 um i'm not sure he is he is right for the for the team in in that um in that sense but yeah, for, for now, I think he has shown some improvement in the last six weeks, and I'm quite happy to see him in the starting lineup now. Whereas maybe a couple of months ago, I would have thought, "Ooh, not not too sure about that." So, so yeah, he has improved in my opinion. I don't think he's massively improved. I, I think my problems with Alioski are usually related to a combination of decision making and passing, which. Um, I think a lot of the time his good games just come in the games, as we said earlier, where he's got more space um, to make and, and more time to make the decision. Uh, but it is it is quite interesting that you know he keeps leaving the team, but he keeps coming back. Um, 
he's he, <laughs> you could you could never describe him as anything other than persistent uh, and that's probably <laughs> a kind adjective to use like he's he's clearly someone who Bielsa respects a great deal in terms of what he can bring to the team physically and I'm not sure he solved the left back position problem for this season, but I don't have it. As, as, same with Joe, and we we did talk about this on a previous podcast. But he's not. I don't have a problem with him playing left back for most of the rest of this season. I, I would like us to improve in that area eventually, though. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think what I think is really tough in terms of determining who's good and who isn't in our team is that Bielsa's system is obviously designed to give players as much space as possible and I think all professional footballers of whatever like whatever division really are up to it I mean obviously within the championship and maybe league League one are going to play well when they're given more space they're going to look better than they are if they're given more space and I think the problem comes in is in the Premier League in that some teams just aren't going to give us space regardless of how well our system works or doesn't work and it's in those situations that that you can really judge how good a player is going to be and the question is is always going to be well if you really want to get to the next level maybe 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 some people will want to play at this level I'm 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 open to that idea that you know it would be nice to be a mid table side playing the sort of football that we're playing at the moment but if you're thinking about the team in terms of an upward progression and development then you do need to have players who are able to play in games where there isn't as much space which means you're going to have to shell out and spend more money on on players and that's just the reality of of the way that it is and we can be we can be rose tinted and and uh, about about everything it's it uh, uh, you know Gianni Alioski is a guy who's very easy to like um he's a very personable guy um certainly very entertaining guy and it's it's a shame that you know he's maybe not quite at the level that you might want to be at to to maybe start breaking into the top 10 on a permanent basis but um that's just a, I think that's just the reality of football I feel bad for saying that because you know it, we do have like I do have a lot of affection for players like Alioski and Dallas even though we, we we have been a little bit critical about them um on on this podcast at times but I guess that's the reality of professional sport and and there has to be that constant squad churn you've got to you've got to um, determine where your weak spots are and try and improve on them. And uh, we've talked a lot about Bielsa's system being great because it is designed to be able to do that. You can bring in better players and, and the system should improve. Um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know if anyone has had wanted to follow up on that. Yeah, I just think as well, it's really hard to find great attacking fullbacks as well. Like they're possibly, possibly the hardest position to recruit in, I think. So you need to be able to do so many different things. Like a player that had the physical output of Alioski and the technical output of even someone like Barry Douglas, like who, you know, for all his faults was a decent technical player and I think showed a lot of game intelligence on the ball. I think it costs you like 50 million quid to get someone like that. So it's it's not an easy position to recruit for, I don't think, which is why we've sort of made those compromises for this season. Um because I don't think there'd be any point in us bringing in a £15 million left-back at the start of this season if we then want to upgrade again in the summer. Right, let's talk about... I realise that time is running on, so we'll look forwards because we had a few interesting questions looking forward. So Sam Thompson said, do you think Bielsa will be more pragmatic against Spurs? Tottenham has players that can punish our mistakes. West Bromwich Albion clearly had not. Um, Tom, what's your take on that question? I think uh, certainly if Click is injured... it will be interesting to see, as I was saying earlier, whether it's Dallas or Shackleton in midfield. And I think I feel like Dallas would be the more pragmatic choice in that regard to play in midfield uh, to bulk that out a bit. Um, but does Son plays on the left wing, not the right wing, doesn't he? Yeah, he tends to play on the left. Yeah, yeah, because that's the 
I mean, no is the answer. He won't be more pragmatic because he doesn't really do <laughs> pragmatism in that sense, does he? But um, I think it's just going to be a really hard game for us against Spurs. How are you feeling about that game, Joe? Until a few weeks ago, I was absolutely dreading it. Um, I thought we were going to get beat six or seven or eight nil. I just, you know, just the way that Spurs play is just clearly um, the complete opposite and the complete way to counter the way that we play. Um, but then the last few games, Spurs have just sort of sat on one nil, one nil leads. Um, they lost it against Crystal Palace. They they drew one all. They lost a one nil lead against Wolves the other night, and that was one all. So you know, as so long as they play like that, then we'll we'll be still in the game. You know, they I, I think against Wolves they only had one shot on target after the first minute, um, which is just ridiculous. So if they play like that, then um, we I, I kind of feel okay about it, but. Obviously, I think Bielsa will just play exactly the same way, the same way that he normally does, and it's just up to Mourinho whether he decides to punish Leeds for our mistakes or just to sit in on a one nil. Thing is that that Wolves Spurs game, it's just like two gunslingers stood in the middle of a street in the Old West, like, and then they look down <laughs> and they realise they don't have a gun, and then it's like staring at each other for an hour. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it will be an interesting game because obviously, I yeah, there's been a lot of criticism about Mourinho sort of sitting on one goal leads um and and just not doing a huge amount and just inviting the opposition to to get an equalizer somewhere um it yeah i don't know i i feel as though on the one hand that will suit us um but on the other hand they are also going to counterattack us at wild pace and i feel as though that isn't going to suit us so um yeah it will be an interesting game no doubt about that um and you know every manager that i want to beat we lose to, so make of that what you will. <laughs> Johnny J says, "How many more wins points will we need to be safe going forward and in, in, um, going on the on the past few seasons? Then we can relax and really go for broke." Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but w- what do we think about the uh, wins points situation? What are we on twenty three points? Yeah, yeah, twenty three. And we've got three games left before the halfway point. So uh, as things stand, even if we lose the next three games, we would be what we'd be looking at a forty six point season i think in the past 36 points has been enough in sort of eight out of the last 10 seasons um and this season certainly looks like it's going to be a lower threshold given that sheffield united have two points and west brom only have eight yeah so you you know we could even see 34 35 being enough um so in my mind i'm just kind of playing it safe and saying that we need 38 which would only be four wins and three draws let's say out of 20 odd games left so um i'm not saying it's in the bag but um you know it's looking pretty good and if we if we can get that past that 40 point mark by say february or march then um yeah i think the last couple of months of football is just going to be great fun to watch yeah agreed i'm just looking at the 538 prediction model which ranks everyone's uh percentage chance of finishing in certain places so um leads are currently two percent chance of relegation um and to put that in perspective the team below us crystal palace have 13 percent chance of of relegation so um make of that what you will we also have two percent chance of uh, getting champions league places (laughs) according to this model and less than one percent chance of winning the league i'm afraid to say so sorry about that joe but tom (laughs) you must be pretty happy with where we are We're, we're pretty safe right Absolutely, yeah. I mean, these kind of conversations about how many points you need to be safe 
Um, and I, you know, people sometimes say that stats are meaningless and they don't mean, and you know, it's why are you even talking about this stuff? I sort of feel that way with this. Like, I, I, I just don't really care how many points we need to be safe or how many, how many points it's taken in the last few seasons. That, I mean, that to me, it becomes in, well, interesting. Becomes terrifying when you, you know, you're really near the bottom and you, you know, you're you're scrabbling around for, for, you know, grains of hope. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't care. Whatever, forty points. Forty points will be fine, and we will get forty points. So that's. I mean, that's not. I, I sound. I've been really insulting to Johnny J, who asked the question. Now I don't really mean. I mean, you can be into whatever you want. It's just not my particular fetish. <laughs> <laughs> and then one final question we have from Neil Harding, who says, "Do you expect less inconsistency in the second half of the season?" Which I think is an interesting question. I'm always of the opinion that people don't realise that that there usually is a bit of a difference between the first half and the second half of the season. Certainly the case, I think, with teams maybe maybe. The this is only true before the the sort of wild seasons that Liverpool and Manchester City had in their record-breaking years. But um, it certainly was the case that I think most teams would would do well in the first half of the season. Most ch- championship winning sides would do well in the first half of the season, and then almost drag themselves over the line a little bit um, as they got quote unquote figured out. Um, I think of Conte's. Uh, Chelsea in particular in that sense where they seem to comfortably get to to the top midway through the season and then they sort of had to sort of slug it a little bit um towards the towards the in the second half of the season I'm actually interested to see whether or not this happens for with us whether or not the experience of playing us once will have given managers maybe the um maybe the respect that Bielsa deserves a little bit more maybe that's something that just comes from media exposure and stuff but um I, I do wonder whether or not clubs will have their analysts working on how we can cause Leeds problems and whether or not it, be- it becomes obvious that there is a one-size-fits-all way of best playing against Leeds um do either of you two have a, have thoughts on that? Do you expect the, the second half of the season to be easier or harder than the first? I think broadly we will get more consistent, but I think that possibly changes if if we either get dragged into a proper relegation battle or it looks like we have a chance of making Europe, I think then it will become more difficult just because of pressure. I think uh, it, that, that could possibly start getting to the players, certainly in the event of a relegation battle. But also, you know, if, if we're pushing sixth, seventh or something like that, uh, with ten games to go, I think that's when number one you'll see you will see teams sort of start changing their approach a little bit even more towards Leeds, and number two the, that's when our players will really need to prove that they can perform under extreme pressure, which is always difficult for any team, but I think has is proven difficult for this squad over the past few years at times, not every time, but at times. Joe, how about you? Easier second half of the season or not? I do agree with Tom's point about the pressure. I think that could affect it. Um, but in terms of whether teams will um, figure us out or not, I think um, to, to suggest that um, a team would figure us out is possibly saying that they, they haven't already and they haven't done enough research already. But it's quite easy to look at all the games that Leeds have played under Bielsa and it, it's been exactly the same style the whole way through his, his tenure. So I think if teams haven't figured us out by now, then they need to sort of change their staff and change their analysts. I think it's also to say that Bielsa wouldn't make tweaks to counter what teams are doing. You know, if every team's winning against him the same way every week, he will change things. You know, it's he it, it won't he won't rip up rip it up and start again. But you see you see these changes all throughout all three seasons so far. So there is a gap between being well scripted, as what is it Scott Parker said about Leeds, and then knowing what to do against that. 
Um, and I think what will happen is the more the more data that people have and the more exposure they have to leads in the Premier League, the more creativity there will be to playing against them. I, I don't think it will be an issue because I think we'll be comfortably up anyway, but I wouldn't be surprised if we had maybe a slightly more uncomfortable second half of the season than the first one. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe we will just get more consistent. We will get um, injured players back. Obviously, if we have a bit more of a, a lockdown period and um, that will probably help just get a lot of the players back to fitness and, and not have quite so many niggles as we've had as well. So there's, there's a lot that, that could go on. Um, and I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. That brings us to the end of this review podcast. Sorry, it's dragged on a little bit more because we had a little bit more to cover. Um, we'll be back uh, maybe in the next few days, depending on whether or not the Spurs-Leeds game goes ahead. I have got an interview lined up with Nathan Clark of the Extra Inch podcast. Um, so hopefully we'll we'll be able to get that one out to you. If you do like our content and want to see more of it, then you can sign up to our Patreon which is a subscription platform where you can get bonus video analysis and podcasts. If that strikes you as something that you would want to look into, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? Three people who've done that recently are Santiago Salinas, Peter C. Forbes and Claudio Aravena. So thank you guys for getting on board. But all that remains for me to do now is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And thank you, Joe. Cheers. And we're looking forward to being back with you in the new year. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 